Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, we've had a great week here this week. You know, Dre was just up here. Uh, we have a thing from time to a couple times a year, whatever it's called, a tournament series at Wildlife on Wednesday nights. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And uh, you can tell where the leaders of that are. And uh, it's, you know, they, they do these kind of a, a games and stuff, a program for like three or four weeks, and then it kind of builds up to this final uh, Wednesday night meeting where you bring in, uh, kind of invite a lot of people, hopefully, that, are, that don't know Christ, and, and a lot of kids, and then they share the message of Jesus. And, you know, this last weekend, they had 248 people, uh, wildlifers here on Wednesday night. Just amazing. And, uh, and then what, uh, Friday night, we had our, our monthly uh, One Passion uh, meeting for single adults, and uh, that was just awesome, over a couple hundred people there for that. Uh, we had another welcome dessert last night at our home for newcomers, and just truly amazing the stories of what God's doing, the people God is bringing. I mean, it's just it's from all different backgrounds, mostly unchurched, coming to Christ, describing. You know, the, the end of the service here, I described the vision of the future. They're describing that as their experience. This is what happened to me. I came in, this is what happened, and it's just exciting uh, to watch them from all different kinds of uh, background coming to Christ uh, in powerful ways. So it was, it was really cool. This one lady last night, she was sharing, she said that she came in a few weeks ago during one of the messages, and it was that, that message I was talking about the woman who came in to anoint Jesus. And, and uh, she came into the room, and she was feeling she was late, and she was kind of awkward. And so I'm telling this story. Well, she comes in to the service late, and she's praying for a sign that if God wants her here, that she'll be here. And so she comes in, and, and I'm describing the story. Well, and, and she comes in late, and she's like, Hey, that's me. I'm coming in late. And, and, he said, and she sits down and she's feeling really awkward. It's like, that's me. I'm feeling really awkward. And she's wondering what the people next to her are feeling, what they're, what they're thinking. That's exactly what I'm doing. Look at this. And, and then she starts to cry. She says, I'm crying. Look at me. And just, this whole story was like narrating her experience. And uh, she said, I just sense God's presence. All right, I'm supposed to be here. This is the place. And it's just it's amazing what God's doing. Hey, I want to ha- uh, ask you to help me out, if you would, you know, on Easter. We, we're, uh, we talk about being a movement and uh, about sometimes the sacrifice that's involved. And, and that's going to involve some of you, know it or not. Um, we are doing our three normal services this year. We're not doing a video venue this year like we did last year uh, for a variety of host, a lot, a lot of reasons I will go into. But uh, we, we believe we have capacity in our three services, Saturday night and our two Sunday morning services. We have capacity to accommodate the, the newcomers who will come, who only come on Christmas and Easter to get their, their tickets punched. And, uh, <laughs> and so we, we just want to zing them while they're here, though, right? Like they don't know what's going to They think they're just going to church. We're going to ambush them. And uh, so we want to create a space for them, especially at this uh, 11 o'clock service. And so here's what I'd ask is that if you're here, I realize some of you have young kids and they're real tied into their, their children's classes and it's hard to move them around and that's great, you know. But for a lot of us here, if you don't have young kids or you, that's not your situation, your kids are flexible, would you please, uh, please very prayerfully consider coming to Saturday night service on Easter this year? Because what we want to do is create space here. You know, typically Saturday night is our smallest attendance. Uh, Sunday at 9 a little uh, is bigger. Uh, 11 o'clock is typically our biggest. And especially... On Easter, the 11 o'clock is the service that is the one that the new people come to. And so we want to create space for them. Uh, so, so we're going to have an overflow room, but it's truly going to be an overflow. It's like it's the worst seats in the house. Like, well, it's kind of, this is our worst case scenario. You know, it's like uh, if, if people come and we're just totally packed out, okay, we'll, we'll go there. In fact, I may even ask some of you in the 11 o'clock service if that happens, hey, if you're a regular here, would you get up and go there just to create space for these people that we want to we get at? Uh, and so um, if you could be thinking about that, praying about that, uh, especially coming on that Saturday night, that would really help us out. And then we can balance out the services and we should be able to accommodate and have a place for all these newcomers. Okay, well, my name is Pastor Mike. I want to welcome you, if you uh, especially if you're first time. Every week here we have uh, our, t- our time of teaching. We have a white message note sheet that's inside of your program. So I encourage you to take that out, if you would, right now and follow along. And I'm going to pray and then we're going we're gonna to jump in. Father, we just pray that you'd come and be with us now. God, we've come to meet with you, to encounter you. We've, we've worshipped you. We've felt you in worship. We've sensed your presence. And, and now, Lord, we pray you'd come in the teaching of the word, that you would meet with us. You'd speak to us by name. You'd call us out. You'd, you'd, you'd show us what the next step in our journey is. Lord, we thank you for this journey. You've got our church on, the way that you're 
walking us through uh, new steps week by week. We know that today's the next one. And so we pray that you'd come in your presence, your power, you'd speak, you'd encounter, and we would, we would know you in spirit and truth as we talked about last week. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it had been about a week since he'd left, and, uh, and so they're waiting because that's what he told them to do. He asked them to wait, and so that they were waiting. But to be honest, um, they're not really sure exactly what they're waiting for. Uh, the last month and a half has been crazy. I mean, it's, uh, first of all, there was his arrest that no one saw coming, and then his death, which is like the worst day of their lives, and, and then the resurrection, which is like the best day of their lives, and then the next 40 days, he's kind of coming, he's going. They're never sure when they're going to see him next. And then finally, about the time they're getting used to him being alive again, um, he, he takes off and says, this is it, and, and he leaves 40 days after the resurrection. And, uh, and the last thing he tells them is, I want you all to go and to wait in Jerusalem, the capital city of the ancient nation. I want you to wait there for the coming of the Spirit, which they didn't really know exactly what that was going to look like, feel like, and how long to wait, you know, what to do while you're waiting, not really sure. And so, so it's been about a week since he's left, and every day they do the same thing. Every day they, they meet together because what else do you do? We're just hanging out. We're just waiting. And, and so they, they meet every day, and they, they meet in this upper room, and they, they hang out, and they talk about old times and when Jesus was here and what he taught. And what do you think the future is going to be like? And what do you think it's going to be like when the Spirit comes in? I don't know. What do you think? And, and so they're just kind of going through this, and every day and they're, they're praying together, and they're kind of taking care of some business, and they're just hanging out. And so this day begins like like any other day. Uh, it was the day of Pentecost, and in retrospect, I mean, maybe they should have seen it coming. Um, the, the, the Feast of Pentecost is one of the three big feasts in the annual Jewish calendar. There's uh, Passover, and, and now it's 50 days after Passover is the first one, and, and then at 50 days after uh, uh, Passover, they have uh, this uh, Feast of Pentecost, and it's called the Feast of Weeks, and it's, it's actually a harvest festival feast. And so, so maybe they should have seen this coming because a new harvest was about to come. Um, but Jews from all over the world would come for these three major feasts. Uh, tens of thousands, some historians say hundreds of thousands of people pack into the city. And so there's people from all over the world speaking all different languages, Jewish people, that have come to celebrate this feast. And so maybe these first followers of Jesus should have seen it coming, Day of Pentecost, Harvest Festival. Maybe they should have seen it. But it started like any other day. They all stopped off at Starbucks on the way in and got their mochas and coffees or lattes, and they show up, go to this upper room, and, okay, it's another day. How much longer? I don't know. It's day eight, whatever, you know. Just, I guess we just keep waiting. Yeah, I guess, you know. And what time is it? It's about 9 o'clock, and, okay, well, maybe we should pray. And all of a sudden, 9 o'clock is when it started. All of a sudden, uh, there's a sound that came rushing through the room. It sounded like a Katrina, you know, like a hurricane force wind just blowing through the room. And, and then there was the fire, just kind of like the burning bush. But, the, but the, remember, the bush didn't burn up, and it was like that kind of fire. It was like fire in the room, and yet it was, it was like landing on them, but they didn't feel the heat. And, and so all of a sudden, he comes. The promised one. The spirit of Jesus, the mentor, the guy, the Jesus, he shows up. They didn't know what to expect, but the first thing that happened is when he shows up, it's like this is like a day like no other day. It's like the presence of God is filling the room, and, and all he had to do is start worshiping. And so just kind of spontaneous worship and praise starts off. But as they open their mouth to begin to speak and to praise and to worship and so on, what's coming out is not their normal language. What's coming out is like foreign languages, languages they'd never studied before. They're speaking in different languages, and, and they don't know what's going on, and they can't figure it out. It's not making any sense to them. Oh, but it's making a lot of sense <laughs> to these thousands and thousands of visitors who spoke the languages where they're coming from. It was game day. Games on. Movements on. Phase two of the movement of Jesus has started. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in now for the last, what, seven, eight weeks. It's a series called The Movement at Rocky Peak. For those of you who are brand new, it's a series about our vision and our values, uh, our strategies that we believe God's giving us to move into the future as a church. 
And uh, if you've been here throughout the series, the first week what we did is we focused on this new vision God's giving us and unpacked that. And then we spent five weeks talking about five of our seven core values, one value each week. And so if you've been here, you kind of went uh, up to speed. But if you're brand new, I want to pause for a second and quickly bring you up to speed. And for the rest of us who have been here, just to do a quick review, drive these values deep. So there in your note sheet, we've got this, uh, this vision statement, front page, that our vision that we believe God's giving us is to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers. We're doing four things. First of all, we're pursuing God. It was number one, our number one priority in life, to know him, to love him, to hear his voice, to follow him, to please him. Number two, loving others, not just people here at Rocky Peak, but loving people wherever we go, loving them in radical ways, sacrificial ways, as God has loved us. Number three, that we'd be serving sacrificially. We've each been gifted in different ways and have different resources and time and energy, and, and God wants us to use those to serve one another and to extend his movement and his kingdom. And then number four, sharing Christ. We talked about this, that we come, become a follower of Jesus, we become a part of his movement. And that each of us has responsibility to help take the message and the movement of Jesus and help advance the cause. And then in the five weeks after that, we've taken a, a week per value, and if you turn the page, which some of you already did, I heard you, but... Um, we've got the five values there. And so core value number one, we want to be a church of the word, embracing the truth. Jesus said that you know the truth, the truth will set you free. We believe the word is the path to life. It's the source of truth. It's the key to our growth. We want to embrace that. Run everything we do through a church, the grid of his word. Uh, number two, authenticity, living honestly. We believe God's called us to a real relationship with him. It's honest, it's genuine, it's not fake, it's not pretend, it's not about image. We want to create a safe place here at Rocky Peak. We can do life together, be real and honest. And we believe that the first step of becoming like Jesus is to learn to embrace radical honesty with ourselves, God, and others. Our third value is relevance. We believe the, value, the message of Jesus is the most important message in all the world, and yet we need to communicate it to every generation in a way that's new, that's fresh, that's compelling, that a culture can relate to, that can overcome obstacles and stereotypes that hold people back from checking out Jesus. Number four, transformation, becoming like Christ. The whole point of following Jesus is to become like Jesus. And the first step of transformation is obedience. That as we obey what God shows us, he will show us more, will continue to change. Ignore what we know, even what we, we know we'll lose. And then last week we talked about worship, responding to God, that how God calls us into a relationship with him that's real, it's alive, it's powerful. And he wants us to experience him in a firsthand way. And as we do that, the natural response is to live out a life of worship, not only in our lips, but a giving of our lives to him, right? So that's where we've come. That kind of brings us up to speed. Now, Today we enter into uh, core value number six, which is about relationships. We're calling it doing life together. And if I had to put a, this in a nutshell, basically what we're saying is that we believe as a church that it's impossible to become like Jesus on our own, that we need one another, that if our core value is to become like Jesus, but we can't do it on our own, that I need you, you need me, I need your encouragement, you need my support, I need your challenge, you need my insight, that we work together in this thing. We're in together. Now, of course, like all the values we've talked about, these, they always flow out of the life and teaching of Jesus. And you can see this emphasis on relationship in Jesus' teaching over and over. But for example, the last night he's with his men before he's arrested. There's the Passover. They're having meal. After the meal, he, uh, he washes their feet. He takes up the towel, becomes a servant. He washes their feet. And so he kind of models for them what this kind of relationship he's calling them to, a, a service, serving one another, you first relationship. And then he pulls him aside after dinner and he says, I want to give you a new command. This is sort of the command of the movement. This is your marching orders of the new movement. And it's in John chapter 13 in verse 34. And I want us to turn there together. Let's, let's go ahead and go there. 13:34. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You hit Acts, put it in reverse. John 13 and verse 34. A new command I give you. And so he's, he's on the verge of launching them into the movement. Um, 
he's about to leave planet Earth. He's going to be arrested in, the, in that whole process. And so he's getting them ready for, for his departure. They're going to be taking over the movement. He says, here's a new command I have. This is sort of the marching orders of this new movement, that you would love one another. And if you say, well, what does that look like to love one another? He says, well, I want you, as I have loved you, you must love one another. So I want you to model your relationships in the way I've related to you. You've seen how I've, I've loved you. I want you to, to care about others and love one another as I have loved you. This is to be the mark of the movement. In fact, he says next, by this, 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This will be the mark of the movement. This will be the badge of uh, authenticity, the certificate of authenticity. Hey, those people, they're Christ followers. How can you tell? They love one another. That's what proves it. You know, it's like this is what the mark of, of, uh, of, of the signpost or whatever that, that shows that this is the real deal. These people are the real deal. They're really Christ followers because, look, they love one another as she loved them. Are, are you with me on this? Okay, so this is it. And so, and so today we want to unpack this. We want to talk about relationships. What does it look like to be a church that does life together? What does it look like to be a church that truly loves one another? And uh, you have there in your note sheet a section that says doing life together, three marks of the movement. And to get at this, what I want to do is give you three key words to kind of focus our, our time and our thoughts together. Three marks. So number one, the first mark of the movement is to be compassion. That if you were to kind of boil it down, say, okay, what does it mean to love one another? I think the first thing that comes come to mind is that we're, we're to be a movement that truly cares about one another. We're, we're to roll up our sleeves. We're to be involved in each other's lives. We're to be helping each other through hard times. We're to truly care emotionally, physically, financially. We're to be connected. All right? That's it. Now, you see this as the movement of Jesus breaks out. Uh, after the resurrection, Jesus goes back to heaven. Uh, you see this as becomes one of the early marks of the movement. For example, we started the day with a story of the coming of the Spirit. Jesus has left. It says, wait. They wait. They don't know how long they're waiting. Day of Pentecost, the Spirit comes. And, um, and, and, and so just like Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he's going to empower you. And so Peter gets up, and of course, everyone's confused. Why are these guys all speaking in different languages they never learned? And he gets up, and he uses that as a, a launching point, kind of a great, great introductory story to launch his message. And he talks about Jesus and who he was. Now, remember, this is only, Pentecost is 50 days after uh, Passover. So it's been a month and a half since the death of Jesus, and, and he died right there in Jerusalem. And so uh, these people all know about the death of Jesus. I mean, it's been on, you know, CNN. I mean, it's in everywhere. A lot of them were probably there. I mean, so it, this is public knowledge. And so they're well prepped. And so Peter goes to work and he, he talks about Jesus and how the Old Testament prophet is going to happen and, and what it's going and what's happening with the coming of the Spirit. And he kind of explains the whole thing. And 3,000 people decide to become Christ followers that day. And so they, they step over the line, and they get baptized because that's what you do when you become a Christ follower. You get baptized. So, so, so they, they get baptized, and now they're Christ followers. And so now there's 3,120, because there's 120 before the sermon, and that was a great sermon, great altar call. So 3,120 who are now Christians. And so uh, the writer Luke, who writes the book of Acts, he gives us some snapshots into what life was like in this early church. And so um, we're going to go and look at one of those snapshots right now, and we're going we're to look for this compassion piece. Okay, so it's Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Acts 2, and we'll start at verse 42. This is they, that's these new Christ followers, these 3,000 new believers um, they devoted themselves, to so underline that in your Bible, would you? Uh, they devoted themselves. I want you to get high priority. Um, this is a high priority. They, to, they devoted themselves to four things. The first thing is to the apostles' teaching. Now, when Jesus left planet Earth, the last thing he said was, man, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to share the message of my movement. I want you to recruit followers. When they decide to follow, I want you to baptize them. And then I want you to teach them to obey everything that I've taught you. And so that's what they're doing. These people have been baptized. Now the apostles teaching. They're going to teach them to obey everything Jesus taught, how to live the Christian life. So they're devoting themselves first to the apostles teaching. Secondly, to the fellowship. In other words, to this new community of Christ's followers. 
The third thing to the breaking of bread, which probably refers to the sharing of meals on a regular basis, but also probably communion or the Lord's Supper as part of that uh, experience. And then finally to prayer. To They're, they're going to be devoted to spending time together with God in prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. We'll talk about that more next week. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. So notice this, that there's some sort of communal lifestyle going on. We don't know all the details, how this worked, uh, what about, there's some sort of a sharing of resources. And it says, selling their possessions and their goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. So there's a real sense of new love and compassion for one another. Then uh, every day, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So there in Jerusalem, you have the huge temple complex that Herod the Great had built, a huge area. They would meet together every day for large group meetings, much like our weekend services here. But it says they also broke bread in their homes. So they would, they would share meals and be together in each other's homes, kind of like our life group type settings. Like this week we're having our potluck dinners in our life group. And they broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts because the Jewish cooking was really good. <laughs> and verse 47, and of course they're praising God, so they're worshiping, they're enjoying the favor of all the people. So early on this movement has very uh, high approval rating from the public. Um, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. And so every day, New people are getting baptized. New people are joining this movement. So it's a little snapshot, okay, snapshot into the early days, weeks, months, this early movement. Now, a couple things I want you to notice from this. First of all, I want you to notice, I want you to notice the high priority on relationship, okay? This is something when the Holy Spirit came, instinctively, they knew they were to be together. Now, catch this. This is very significant because often in Christian circles today, we think of following Jesus as an individual pursuit. I come to Christ. I pray the sinner's prayer. I become a follower of Jesus. I have this new relationship with God. But I want you to catch this. When you become a follower of Jesus, you become a part of his movement. You become a part of his community, part of his church. You see? And what you see is right away, instinctively, they intuitively, they picked up on this. And so you pick this up, this high priority of relationship. They're devoting themselves to being together, to be taught, to pray, to sharing meals, to the fellowship, to daily being in the court. High priority on relationship. Secondly, the thing I want you to note is I want the point from this, this number one point is I want you to note the compassion. That there's, instinctively, they have this new sense that we're family. We need to take care of one another, even to the extent of selling goods, possessions. In fact, later in chapter 4 of Acts, we're told they were selling real estate, actually selling assets, selling homes or lots in order to bring money to help the poor in this movement. Okay? So the first thing you see is you see this compassion that's, uh, that's part of this new movement. Loving one another as I have loved you. Now, as you move into the New Testament, uh, what you don't see is you don't see what happened in Jerusalem as normative. In other words, what you don't see in Ephesus, in Corinth, in Thessalonica, you don't see this communal style of life. But what you do see is this loving one another, this new compassion, whether it's emotionally connection, physically, financially, or so on. And we don't have time to do a big survey of the New Testament, but I want to focus on two fascinating passages, okay? And so I want to let's go first to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, in Ephesians 4, uh, this is a great relationship passage. In fact, we'll come back to it later today, so you'll want to mark it. But right now, I just want to focus on one verse that kind of shows this sense of compassion, taking care of one another that we see in Acts 2. It's uh, chapter 4, verse 28. Remember, these are brand new Christians, and so uh, relatively new Christians at least. And so Paul's telling them, here's how to do relationship. And we get to verse 28, and this just cracks me up because he says in verse 28, he says, he who has been stealing must steal no longer. Newsflash. <laughs> Welcome to Christianity 101. Glad you all came today. Let's talk about what it means to be a Christ follower. Number one, ready to write this down? Stop stealing. 
know a lot of you made your living that way. But you're a Christian now, so we're going to stop the stealing. Everyone good with that? Any questions? Yes, uh, in the back. Do you mean all stealing or just some stealing? Because I'm going to have a hard time making it if it's all, you know, all stealing. No, it's all stealing. Okay, all right. Okay, no, so that's rule number one. Okay, let's move on. He says, next, get a job. Okay. So he has been stealing with stealing long, but he must work doing something useful with his hands. Okay, rule number two, stop stealing. Number two, get a job. Make it a good job. Make it it's an honorable job. You know, don't get a job. It's something dishonorable. Do something It's useful, a useful job. Get a good job. Work hard. Okay, you're a Christian now. You're a Christ follower. Work hard. Get a job. Work hard. Now, this is a good word to us, isn't it? Uh, one of the things that's happening in our culture today is I really believe that so we're losing a work ethic as a nation, right? We're, we're becoming a nation of entitlement, right? It's like, it's like what are you going to do for me? No sense of let me earn it. It's like, what are you going to do for me? And, and so Paul says, hey, as Christ followers, we should have a strong work ethic. Get a job. Make sure it's a useful job. Uh, it's a good job, you know, something that's doing useful. And he says, and, and, uh, and work hard at it. I said, and the reason, now here's what I expect him to say. Stop stealing, get a job, and here's why, because you need to support yourself. This is what I expect him to say. But this is where he, he just throws me a curve that's a beautiful curve. Look what he says. He says, he must work doing something useful with his hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Now, isn't that something? Hey, you're a Christian. Rule number one, stop stealing. Number two, get a job. Number three, why are we getting a job? So now, he's assuming you support one another. That's, he says, no, you want to earn, earn some money so you can help those who can't work. You see? You see the whole mindset? You see how uh, revolutionary this mindset is? What a revolutionary attitude towards possessions and job and so on. He said, you're Christians now. Stop stealing, get a job, work hard. Why? So that you can help those who can't work hard. Maybe they're disabled. Maybe they're, they're uh, had an operation. Maybe they're out of work. Well, they can't find a job, whatever. But you see this? It's a radical. And, and so you see this kind of compassion theme going through the New Testament. In fact, on your note sheet there, I put another one from Romans 12. We studied this in our last series. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So there it is. Love one another. You know? Well, what does that look like? Share with God's people who are in need. So we've talked about that. But then look what he says. It's not just physical things or financial things. He says rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. So this movement that Jesus wants to create of doing life together, there's a real sense of connectedness where in this thing we care about one another, we help each other. So the first word is compassion, right? Second word. The second word is growth. As in, like, spiritual growth. Now, remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Now, remember, now how did he love us? Well, if you study his life, he, he really cared about his men, and he cared about their spiritual growth, didn't he? Uh, he was constantly discipling them, helping them to grow, to become the people that God wants them to be. And so in this new community that God calls us to be a part of, it's not just taking care of one another. We are to be intentional in our relationships to help each other grow to become like Jesus. This is to be a major part of what it means to, to love one another. Now, you see this throughout the New Testament, but I want to focus in on a couple statements in the book of Hebrews. So turn to the right in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3. I'll just give you some examples of this. The letter to the Hebrews was written to a group of, it's an anonymous letter, we don't know who wrote it, um, but it was written to this group of Christ followers who had, they were all Jewish, and they'd, they'd come to the place they're convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they'd, they'd follow Jesus, but this was creating a lot of persecution from fellow Jews who didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah. So these Christ-following Jews uh, they're being persecuted, and they're being tempted to give up the Messiah and to go back to their Jewish ways so that they can avoid the persecution. That's the context. And so in this letter, 
uh, the writer is talking about, okay, you need to stay on track. You need to keep following Jesus. Don't give up Jesus. If you give up Jesus, you're dead. you got to stay on track following Jesus. And he says, and one of the greatest tools to help you stay focused, help you stay growing, is uh, connected relationships. Okay, that's just going to be one of his themes in the letter. And so we're going to look at two of those passages. Uh, first of all, in chapter 3 of Hebrews, uh, 3 and verse uh, thir- uh, 12. Okay, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Let me ask you a question. Do you realize that all of us here have the capacity to have a sinful, unbelieving heart, and no matter how close your walk is with Jesus right now, that you have the capacity to turn away from the living God? Do you realize that? See, lots of times we don't know this about ourselves. We assume if I'm growing well and walking with God now, well, now I will always be that way. Hebrews underlines this. You cannot assume this. This is not automatic. Growth is not automatic. Maturity is not guaranteed, you see. And so he says, hey, be careful about this. Make sure that none of you have a simple, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But instead, encourage one another. Underline that. Encourage one another And let's read the next word together. Encourage one another when? Daily. Daily. Let's read it again. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, which is why it's daily, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You get this? Sin is deceitful. Sin is a lie. Sin is Satan coming saying, if you do this disobedience, you will be happy. Trust me. It's always a lie. It's a deceit. But here's what the author is saying. He said, if you don't hang out with growing Christians and encourage one another daily, you can be vulnerable to turning away from the living God. You see? Now, now I want you to catch this because this is something we often don't get. We understand that to grow and become like Jesus, we need to uh, do certain things in our life. We need to leave certain things behind, but we've often not understand. We, we know we, we need to do things like, hey, we need to read our Bible, and we need to pray, and we need to serve, and we need to give, and we need to share Christ. We understand these things. What we often haven't understood is the important role relationships play in the process for us to become like Jesus. And so what he's saying here is, hey, is you, if you're going to stay on track, you have to be in relationship and encouraging one another uh, as long as it's called today. Let's look at another one, chapter 10 of Hebrews. So it goes to the right. Chapter 10 says something very similar. Verse 23, 24. Let's start at 24. He said, and let us consider, in other words, think about it, how we may spur one another on. Now underline that, spur one another on. So let us consider, let's think about this. Let's be intentional Let's think about how we can spur one another on, how we can motivate one another, inspire one another toward love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. There it is again. And all the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ's second coming. So he says, hey, um, we need to think about this. He says, you're in a dangerous, vulnerable situation. You're being tempted to go back on Jesus you need to think about this. You need to consider how to spur one another on towards love, loving one another. You need to consider how to spur one another on towards good deeds, being the people God's called us to be, the people we want to be. You need to think about that, how to stimulate one another. You need to encourage one another. And in your, this is why we meet. We meet in order to encourage and stimulate one another. So what this means is any meeting we go to that doesn't stimulate us is not a very good meeting, Right? Like, like when we come to church, we should go away motivated, stimulated, challenged, hungry, right? That's the way we should go. We should go out of here roaring, I want more, right? And if we're not going out of here stimulated that I want more, something's wrong, you see? We should go to our life group. We should come out stimulated. We should want more. Man, I love what John's learning. I wish he was learning what he's learning. You go home and say, God, would you make me more like John? Would you do in my life what you're doing in John's life? You say, I love what's happening in Sarah's life. I love what she's sharing. Sarah, could you share it? I'm hungry. You see, we're stimulating. We're motivating with one another. And if that's not happening, there's something wrong with our life groups. 
you see? The purpose we meet is not to get our ticket punched. The purpose we meet is to stimulate and spur one another on, you see? And so what the writer wants us to understand is in this doing life together, it's more than just taking care of one another, sitting around, holding hands, kumbaya, right? Aren't we happy? That's part of it. But there's another part, and it's like iron sharpening iron, right? You're motivating me. I'm motivating you. We're growing together. Look at the verse there on your note sheet in Proverbs. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Isn't that true? Is this not true in your life? There's certain people that you hang out with that you just get better just by hanging out with them. Is that not true? Hey, and, and there's some other people. You know what I'm talking about, right? They have the gift of dullness. You don't come away iron sharpening iron getting sharper. You come away dulled. They're like a dull blade. You, you rub up against them, you come away dull, right? And so he's saying, hey, hey, catch this principle. If you want to grow and be like Jesus, we have to iron sharpening iron. We've got to be in those kind of relationships. It has to be intentional. Now, number three. The third mark of this movement is the word health. And I'm talking about healthy relationships. In other words, that he calls us together not just to love one another, to take care of one another, not just to grow together, but he calls us together to learn how to do relationships a whole new way. You see, most of us, we come to Jesus, we bring with us a bunch of baggage of the way we've done relationships in the past, the way we've seen them done. And so we come to Jesus, the Spirit comes into our life, we begin to change. There's certain things we begin to do. They're all good things. We begin to go to church, read our Bibles, pray, serve, give, share Christ, all great things. But often, the one area of our life that doesn't get transformed is the way we do relationships. That we, we focus on these certain kind of Christian things to do, but we never really challenge the way we do relationships. As a result, our lives never really transform, and we can't figure it out why. Like, why aren't we living the life we're supposed to be living? You know, and our marriages are messed up, and our friendships are messed up, and there's hostility and backbiting and manipulation and passive-aggressive stuff going on, and there's all this stuff. And what's happened is we've read half of the New Testament, we skip the other half. You see, the, the, good news, the good news about this is that the New Testament is full of relational counsel. Here's how to do relationships. The bad news is that we've often ignored it. And so what happens is we're living our good little Christian life, but we're ignoring all this relational instruction and it's bringing havoc to our lives, you see, and we never get transformed. Um, and so what happens in churches, and this happens all the times, I mean, what's the biggest reputation out there? Christians are all hypocrites, right? And you know what? Lots of times it's so true. That's why it's so popular is that it's often true, you know? And so what happens is you, you go to a church, and everyone's, everyone's going to church, and they're going to this meeting and that meeting, and they're involved in this, and they're in the life group or whatever, and they're, they're giving, and they're serving, and they're doing this, and they're working children's ministry, and everyone's kind of doing this stuff. But inside, if you peel back the layer of the church, it's like there's all this unhealthy stuff going on. There's broken relationships. There's, there's gossip. There's, uh, there's unresolved conflict. There's hostility. There's bitterness. There's grudges. And you're going like, how does this match up with the church of Jesus? By this, you'll know that they love one another. You'll know them. You see, how does this fit? What, what's going on is that we haven't read the book. We haven't taken the teaching on relationships and applied it. Uh, and so we've never learned how to communicate. We're, we love Jesus. We're doing this stuff, but we've never learned how to communicate. Uh, we have never learned how to deal with conflict. We're still doing the same old way, the attack or withdraw things. We've, we've never learned how to forgive. We've never learned how to build someone else up in a relationship and be a friend. We've just never learned this stuff. 
And so the end result is that our lives are hurting and broken, and they're not what they're supposed to be. And so if we're going to be a church that loves one another, we have to embrace health. Now, the good news is, is the New Testament is full of relational information. In fact, once you, once you put on these lens, it's like off every page, it's going to jump out on you. Here's how to do relationship. The problem is we haven't had the glasses on. We've just kind of focused on these other things. And so just to give you an example of that, I want you to turn to back to Ephesians 4. This is one of my favorite relational passages. And I just want to illustrate this, uh, how this works. Because once I point this out, you'll start seeing it on your own just over and over again. Chapter 4, um, this, the context, Paul's telling these believers, hey, you're Christians now. You need to leave your old life behind. You need to embrace the new life. You need to think about life a whole new way. You need to be like God. Uh, the whole purpose of following Jesus is to become like Jesus. Did he become like God, like Jesus? And so in verse 22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life, your old life, to put off your old self, to kind of leave the past behind, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. There we are again. Verse 23, And to be made new in the attitude of your mind, so we're going to get a whole new perspective on life, and we're to put on the new self created to be like whom? Like God. Let's read it again. Like whom? Like God. So if you're a Christ follower, he's got an agenda for your life. You're to grow up to be like God, okay? We're not gods, but we're to grow up to be like God in terms of our character. In true righteousness and holiness. Now, at this point, if you just read that passage and you close the book, if, don't close your book, but if you were to close the book, um, I think most of us, what we hear is, okay, be, okay, I, I'm to leave, to leave my old life behind. Okay, stop partying. Stop doing drugs. Stop ripping, pe- ripping people off. Maybe start going to church. Um, start serving in children's ministry. Start, um, you know, tithing. Uh, start sharing Christ. That's how we read it, okay? But here's what I want you to catch. That's not what he says. Not that anything that's bad. It's all good. But it's not what he says. What he says to be like God in the next many, many verses, it's all about relationships, and these are the very instructions we've ignored to our, we've neglected to our hurt. So let's look at them. Verse uh, 25, therefore, each of you should put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we all are members of one body. This is rule number one, relational rule number one. It's a relationship rule. Um, tell the truth. In your relationships, start telling the truth. Stop manipulating, stop half-truths, stop the pretending, tell the truth in relationships. <laughs> no, stop and think, how would our relationships change if we were to start telling the truth? You seem upset. No, I'm fine. Really, you, you haven't said anything in 30 minutes. No, I'm fine. You sure you're fine? Because you don't seem like you're fine. I'm fine. Tell you I'm fine. You sure there's something you need to talk about? No, I'm fine. I'm telling you I'm fine. Right? <laughs> really, you're fine? Yeah, I'm fine. Why don't our relationships work? We don't tell the truth. You don't like going to my mother's, do you? Oh, no, I like your mother. No, I don't think you like going to my mother's. That's why you didn't want to go. No, it's just been a hard week. It's been a long week. I'm just tired. You don't like my mother. No, I'm fine. So I love your mother. We're good. Your mother's good. Yeah, we could go on and on and on. We could take, let's, let's, let's dissect marriages. Let's dissect parenting. Let's dissect friendships. We got a lizard in the front row down there. That's really cool. That's a first. My last church, I had a mouse come out one time. We did like the wave all over. Uh, yeah, here we go. Now Rick's gonna catch the lizard. Go Rick. Go Rick. Oh, he could get. Okay, we'll let him go. All right. Yeah, he'll come up. And so all this relational advice is there, and we ignore it, right? And then we can't figure out why our relationships don't work, right? Uh, look at the next one. Um, 
In your anger, do not sin. So you're a Christian now. You have to do anger a different way. You have to approach anger a different way. He says, um, don't let the uh, sun go down while you're angry. In other words, you deal with it, okay? Why? Because if you don't deal with it, um, it, it, it turns into bitterness, it turns into hostility, it turns into other things if you don't deal with it. So he says, hey, you're Christians now. Deal with anger in new ways. You look angry. I'm not angry. You sure you're not angry? I'm not angry. told you I'm not angry. Yeah. And so we don't deal with our anger. And so we're going to church, we're reading our Bible, we're bringing our tithes, we're working in ministry, but we're not dealing with our anger. And then you can't figure out, like, why isn't life working? I'm doing all the Christian things. No, we're not. We're ignoring half the New Testament. You see? He goes on. Uh, verse uh, 29, let's, let's skip 28, we already did that, 29. Uh, Let not any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who will listen. Now, do you think it would af- affect our relationships at all if we decided that we were only going to say things that are helpful? think that would have any impact at all on our relationships? <laughs> uh, Look at the next one, um, verse 31. He talks about dealing with conflict. Uh, do not get, uh, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, you know, slugging it out, and slander along with every form of malice. He says, okay, it used to be when someone would hurt you, this is how you'd respond. you respond with anger. you respond with rage. You might clock them. <laughs> uh, you might slander them. You, some form of mouth. This is how you do it. Someone hurts you, this is how you would respond. He says, no, no, knock it off. You're, you're a Christian now. Uh, you need to find new ways to deal with conflict. And yet I find among Christian, uh, Christians, this is one of the hardest things, dealing with conflict in appropriate ways, moving towards it, looking for resolution. Look at the next one, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, as just as in Christ God forgave you. And so we're going to have to learn how to forgive. We're going to have to learn to move past grudges, learn to move past bitterness. We're going to have to let go of the past. You see it? Can you see what I'm saying here? It's all relational, isn't it? He says, hey, let go of the old life, live the new life, become like God. Let me give you some examples, and it's all relational. You see that? And yet we've often neglected this and can't figure out why we're not being transformed. For, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love as Christ loved us. So where do we start this? Love one another as I have loved you. And now we end it right here with this saying, live a life as Christ loved us. What's in between? It's all relational. What does it look like to love one another as Christ loved us? We've just had all these examples. It means things like dealing with your anger. It means things like telling the truth. It means things like controlling your tongue. It means things like learning how to deal with conflict. It looks like how to forgive. How are we doing? You see? And if we do relationships this way, we will experience the community he wants to, to do it. But we're going to have to learn this, and it's not going to be easy. In fact, uh, the, the, the fact of the matter is, is we take in along with us, we, we, we bring with us all our dysfunctional patterns of our past, the way we've seen it done. This is hard stuff. We feel so strongly about this. We're going to talk more about this after Easter when we move into the strategies part of this series. But uh, we're actually designing a course that's going to be on right relationships because we feel so strongly of this as a church. We need to explore this together. What does it look like to do relationships a new way? What does it look like to live out these things? We need to delve into this uh, as a church. So, um, so, so we're to love one another. What does that look like? It looks like compassion, taking care of one another. It looks like growing together. It looks like uh, living out healthy relationships. Now, before we leave this section, let me say this. This is, now it should be obvious at this point why we've built our whole church around small groups, right? Because if you stop and think about it, it's impossible to do these things in a large group setting, really. But if you stop and think about it, the weekend services are really good for three things. They're good for worship, really good. They're good for teaching of the Word. And they're good for catching up with friends that you have already know. That's what they're good with. They're not good for anything else. 
You know, the, the stuff we're talking about, not really so good for that. And so if you want to follow the teaching of Jesus, you've got to somehow break down a larger church into smaller churches where you can truly know one another. And in a church this size, you don't even know people's names, let alone their needs, right? I mean, if you were to know everyone's needs, you'd go crazy, right? Kind of like me. <laughs> uh, but that's another story. Um, and, and so we got to break it down. Now, here's the thing. When you break it down into a smaller setting, now you can know one another. Now you can take care of one another. Now you can grow together. And now you can learn how to do relationships healthy. It's a small enough setting you can, you can do that. And here's, here's what I want to tell you honestly. i just give you an honest assessment. My sense is that many of our life groups here are hitting on all cylinders and are doing a great job in all these areas. Uh, I, but I also have a sense that many of our groups are not there that some are, are probably uh, performing poorly, and there's a lot in, in, in between. And this is not an indictment in any way. It's just a, I just want, as your pastor, I love to speak truth up here, like speak reality. I hate to, like, paint a picture, and you're going, but, well, that's not how my group is. I understand that. But this is where we're going, right? It may not be that all of our groups are hitting all cylinders, but we will get there. You see, this is where we're going. This is our future. Now, let me, uh, as we uh, start to wrap this up, let me, let's do some self-evaluation. Where do you stand with the sixth core value of relationships doing life together? I want to ask you three, three quick uh, evaluation questions. Number one, first question is, are you ready to invest? We saw that the early church, they devoted themselves to these things, apostles' teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, prayer, hanging out together. They devoted themselves. They made it a priority. The question is, are you willing to invest the time? Are you ready to invest the time it takes? These kinds of relationships don't just happen. You have to invest. You have to get in your car. you got to drive. you got to carve the time out. you got to spend. They, they take time. They take energy. They don't happen just by osmosis. It doesn't just happen. And so the question is, are you ready to invest? You may say, no, I'm not. That's okay. Just, I just want to be you know, honest. Are you ready to invest? You see, here's the thing. A lot of us believe that this relationship with Jesus is just something, I, I just go to church, I read my Bible, I pray, I obey, I give, I serve, or whatever. I'm fine, but we're missing a key ingredient. You see, uh, iron sharpening iron. And so we're not growing at the pace we should be going, could be growing, because of that. And so I'm asking you, are you ready to invest in your life? Number two, are you willing to care? We've seen today how the early church cared. They got involved. They laughed together. They cried together. They helped each other financially in hard times. They, they helped each other in times of crisis. They really cared. It's hard to care. Uh, all of us have too little time, too little money, too many challenges, too many problems of our own. And so if we're going to truly care, it's going to require a sacrifice, isn't it? And so if, if we're going to get there, we're going to have to let the Holy Spirit mentor us as a church. So here's the question. Are you, are you ready to be mentored by the Holy Spirit in this area? We're not going to get there overnight. The question is, are you willing to care? Are you willing to let the Holy Spirit come and say, this need has your name on it? You need to help these people financially. You need to reach out this time of crisis. You need to go over. You need to drive over. You need to help with those kids. You need to, you know, are you willing to care as God leads you? Okay, number five, or number three, are you open to change? This is in some ways the hardest one. I'm talking about change in terms of the way you do relationship. Can we be honest here? We do relationship the way we've seen relationship modeled. That's the way humans be. We, we do relationship the way we've seen. So we parent the way we were parented or we react against it. We do marriage the way we've seen marriage done or we react against it. We do friendships, employees, you know, we serve as employees or employers. We do these things based on the paradigms that we bring into it. And the question is, are you willing to change that paradigm? Uh, are you willing to say, you know what, I'm gonna, uh, in my life, I'm going to compare the way I do relationship with Ephesians 4 and other passages like it 
and say, okay, this is how the Bible says I should be doing relationship. Am I doing it that way? And are you open to changing it? And it's not easy, and it's going to take a lot of courage. Because the fact of the matter is, the reason we do relationship the way we do it is because we think it's the right way. No, 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 I, I do relationship this way. I think it's the worst way, but that's why I do it. I just, I'm up for bad ones. I love bad relationships. No, the reason we treat our wife like that or raise our kids like that or do our friendships is we really think it's the smart way to do it. And so it takes courage to say, okay, let me compare the way I do it with the way the Bible describes doing it. Do I need to make any adjustments? You see, are you open to change? Now, let's go to the future. Let's turn on the lights, bow our heads, close our eyes. Let's take, take a trip to the future. What will it look like on that day as we move into our future, as we embrace these values of relationship? Let's take a journey. She walks into the back door of the auditorium. It's the first time she's been here. Hasn't been to church in years. And the first thing she notices as she comes in, one of the first things is she just, she's picking up kind of the relationships that are happening here. It's hard to put your finger on why it's standing, her, kind of standing out to her, but, I mean, people are, are shaking hands. People are hugging. There's, there's, there's connection going on, but it's more than that. She's sensing in a way that's hard to put into words, an intuitive way, that these people know one another. They, they care. They're connected. They've gone through things together. She can just sense it. She picks it up before the service, but she picks it up after the service too. The service ends, and people are slow to leave the auditorium. Those who got in the patio, they're slow to go and pick up their kids or whatever. They just, they're connecting. They're sharing. And she walks by Two people talking, she hears them talking about the sermon and how it spoke to them and how they want to grow in that area and what God's saying to them. She sees two people over in the corner praying. One has their arm around the other. One person's crying. Another person, the third person joins them as they begin to pray. She senses there's a connection here that's real. It's honest. It's genuine. And so drawn by that, she comes back. And with each successive week, she's getting hungrier in her own life for that kind of relationship. People are reaching out to her every week. They're greeting her warmly. They're having conversation. Several have invited her actually to join their life group. It's something that she really wants to give it a try, but she's just so afraid. She's never been to a group like that. It seems kind of strange, a little weird. What's going to happen? These people all know each other. She'd be the newcomer. Maybe she'll feel awkward. But after several weeks, she begins to break down. Her desire for relationships overriding her fear of relationship, and so she she says yes to one of these invitations, and she goes the first time at night not knowing what to expect. But as she walks in the door, she's pleasantly surprised. Everyone's so warm, so comfortable. They invite her in. They make her feel comfortable. They look out for her in the evening. And in the coming weeks, she's surprised by what she finds. She's never seen a group of people like this. The first thing that surprises is how connected they are, not just in the group and on Wednesday nights, but they're connected outside. Three couples going out for dinner here, two families going on vacation, two buddies going to a, a Dodger game, three friends meeting at Starbucks at 6 o'clock on Wednesday mornings to, to pray together. They're just, they're just connected. And beyond that, she's impressed with the way they're growing together. I mean, there's a passion for growth in this group. There's truly an iron sharpening iron. People are coming. Their homework's done. They're excited about what they're learning. They're sharing with one another, and the level of vulnerability is blowing her away. She's never heard adults be so honest with one another and never been in a place that feels so safe. The laughter, the tears, the fun, the enjoyment. She's never experienced something like this, and as they share with their hearts, they're learning. As one shares, others are picking up. They're growing together. She can sense it. And about a quarter in, to this group, a crisis hits. In fact, two crises hits at one. One couple, the man loses his job. The other couple, the wife finds out she has cancer. And she watches this group come around them and love them in an amazing way. There are meals. There's trips to the doctor. There's financial pools that are taken to help with some financial needs. There's prayer. There's helping out at the home, cleaning of the house of the woman who goes in for surgery. Just in a million ways, running their kids around, they're, they're taking care of one another. And though she can't put her finger on it, the word that comes to her mind is health. This group is just so healthy. They just get along so well. And even in the group, when they talk about tough relationships with their relatives or other people in the church, they're not taking sides and gossiping and 
saying, how could you let them do that to you? They're working together to come up with a plan for, to help each other move towards the conflict, get it resolved. She's never seen anything like this. And the longer she's there, she realizes she's growing like she has never grown in any other situation. The weekends and Wednesday nights are becoming her favorite times of the week. She's becoming a raving fan. In fact, she's even begun to invite a couple people that she's met that are new to come and join them in the group. And the people at work are asking her questions. She's not trying to be real evangelistic, but she just mentions her life group this and her life group that, and people are becoming curious. And she's beginning to tell the story of this church she's found and the relationship she's found that's unbelievable. And there's some of her friends, even at work, that are beginning to ask questions like, when are the services? And maybe I could come sometime. I would love to come and check this out myself. 